Hello, everyone. Welcome to my conversation with Kathleen Melvin. I just want you to know that this episode was recorded with Kathleen in December of 2021. Now, Kathleen is a copywriter, an editor, and a full-service TEDx coach. And in this conversation and in her TEDx talk, you'll hear about how she went from being on the path to going to law school with a full-ride scholarship to taking a very sharp 90-degree turn into the career that she's in right now. So hear about how she did that and how she got to exactly where she is today. Her TEDx talk was released in December of 2021, and it's called The Brave Leap Sideways, and it's awesome. I highly recommend you go there. The link should be in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you could come on the on the podcast with me. Me too. Um, I know we're going to get to talk about your TEDx talk and uh, what you do and why. But before we do that, I'd like to ask you the broken open question, which is, tell me about a time when you experienced some adversity in your life that at the at the time felt like the end of the world, but in hindsight was a real gift? So I think that this is an experience that a lot of people have. Um, I, I am about to turn 35 years old and I, 15 years ago or so, had been in a relationship throughout my whole college years and I was engaged. And I, that, that relationship dissolved. (laughs) And at the time I didn't, I I couldn't imagine what the rest of the world was going to look like. I had graduated from university a few months earlier. I was, I had a part-time job as a paralegal and I was doing theater work. My undergrad degree is in classical theater performance. So um, that was the very beginning of my career as an actor. And even though I had these other things in my life, I, when I lost the relationship with this guy that I thought I was going to be with my entire life and that I had spent five years of my life, which I was 22, 23 at the time. So five years is a big percentage of your life at that time. And I just, I felt like my world, not the world, but my world had ended. And looking back at that experience, I can see now we would not have been a successful marriage. We would not have been a happy or a healthy marriage. And I am very grateful. Um, This gentleman's name is Paul. And I'm very grateful that Paul had the bravery, had the courage to say, no, this isn't the right thing. Because I think we both felt it. We 
we had conversations about it, but we were moving forward. And then it was, um, it was two months before we were supposed to be married that we finally, we broke up. And I just look back and like, I mean, we were both kids and like for, uh, he, he was, he was still in college. So, um, for a college kid, like to have, have that like self-awareness and, um, and then the, the courage to speak it into the universe, I think was an inflection point, obviously for both of us, but I'm just, I'm very grateful for that. It changed the course of my life. It, yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's very generous of you to attribute him, you know, courage and, um, foresight to him in that, because I, I mean, that would have hurt quite a bit and it would have been, um, shattering, you know, and all it, the visions. Was. Yeah. I didn't eat for two weeks. Oh, like that's how I reacted. I was like, my, my life stopped. Mm. I, I stopped living. Mm. Um, and of course I eventually was able to come out of that, but, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was very, very hard. Yeah. A lot of feelings in there. I bet like not just the loss, but, but a lot of other things I would imagine a lot of other emotions would be swimming in there. I mean, that would be, that would be really hard two months. I mean, that's yeah, the 11th hour almost, you know, it, that's the way it would yeah. feel. Yeah. Well, that's really good. I, I think, thank you for, I don't mean that's really good. I think what <laughs> it's I'm great. Gonna, it's so good. No, but so actually, good. actually it is. It, it actually truthfully, like objectively, I think is yeah. good. <laughs> thank you. Well, <laughs> I think that there is what I mean by it's so good is, is that so many, everybody can relate with the ending of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and how yeah. difficult it is, whether you made the choice or not. And I, and there's such a difference between um, being the person who makes the call and the person who doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there. So yeah, so that's what I mean by it's so good, but everyone can relate. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, um, tell us who are you? Yeah. How did you get here? So when last we left off, (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen was working part-time as a paralegal. Um, So I I graduated from undergrad and I was was doing, I went to school in Wisconsin. I did some work in Wisconsin. I did a children's theater tour of the Midwest. And then my best friend and I moved to Chicago together and I lived in Chicago and worked as an actor and owned a national touring arts education company where we did children's theater around the country with with students in different communities and I did that for about a decade and when I decided it was time that I needed to leave the theater industry I I don't know if this happens to other people in other industries, but when you're an actor, people will often ask you, well, what, what would you have done if you d- didn't go to school for theater? What would you have studied? And I had looked back at that experience as a paralegal <laughs> that I briefly had. And I thought, you know, I, I liked that work. 
I thought we were doing good work for people that they needed to have done. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I would have gone to law school. So fast forward to 2018, when I make this decision that I'm going to get ready to leave the theater industry, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to law school. That seems like the next, the next right step. And, and there was more to it than that. I, um, there was some like personal relationship stuff that influenced my decision-making at the time too. But ultimately I decided to apply. So I spent a year studying for the LSAT and I took the LSAT in the fall of 2019 and then started applying to schools. And during, during the, the couple years prior to that, I had been slowly sort of doing some copywriting as a side gig because I'd done a lot of that for my children's theater and was quite good at it. <laughs> and so people started sending other people in their network to me for um, marketing and sales copy. And even though I had already like without trying been building that business, I felt like I needed to go to school and get a degree in order to have opportunities. I thought I have no marketable skills. Like I said that to people, I have no marketable skills. I have to go, I have to go back to school. What else am I going to do? I'm an actor. Like, <laughs> um, and so that'll come into the story again later, but I had started applying to schools. I was applying to schools all up and down the, the Southeastern, um, coast of the US because I had been in a, a long distance relationship um, for just over five years at that time and different relationship. <laughs> um, and I knew I wanted to move to where I was like within driving distance of where my partner lived. And I also was tired, I lived in Chicago. I was tired of the gray. I was tired of the wet. I was tired of walking outside six months out of the year and feeling a layer of ice form on your eyeballs. Um, you know what that's like. I feel <laughs> breathing here. Yes, yeah. I know what that's like. So um, I started applying to schools and that then two days before my 33rd birthday, which is right before Christmas as well. Um, and I'm a person who celebrates Christmas. I get a phone call from my very wonderful partner ending the relationship. And it came out of nowhere. Absolutely. Like I it was, it was a, a rug swept out from under you kind of moment. And I thought, like I had asked for some law prep books for Christmas and I went back to be with my family at Christmas and I opened up my present from, I have, I have three sisters and so we all do a gift exchange and my sister who had had my name had bought me law books and I opened them up and I just like wept <laughs> because I didn't know 
the uh, losing that relationship changed everything about what I had planned to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I wanted to go to law school anymore, but I also like, I was on a treadmill. The treadmill had started moving. I still had this belief that I needed, that I was not, I did not have it in me to care for myself without going and getting a degree. And so I felt like, like, what else was I going to (laughs) do? I had to keep, I, I was going to go to school. So by the time I started school, you know, nine months later, I was already like, is this, is this right? Is this what I should be doing? Feeling kind of like not, but I went to school. I got through my first semester and that whole year. So that breakup had happened in December of 2019. And then obviously March of 2020, the world shifted again. And so 2020 was the hardest year of my life. Um, mostly because of the breakup, but then layered on top of it was all this stuff about COVID. And so I was dealing with that level of, of depression as I started law school. And it was really, really hard. It was the lack of autonomy um, that, that you experienced in law school where like I was waking up at 5 a.m. I was reading until class started, going to class, ending class, reading until I dropped into bed <laughs> exhausted and doing it all the next day. And by the end of the semester, when I was prepping for finals, there were like a couple weeks where I didn't go outside and it just got like more and more unhealthy. And I had a conversation over winter break after that first semester with um, my best friend who was my business partner with the children's theater. And um, now she still owns that company, but she's also a business coach. And I remember her saying to me on the phone, she said, Kathleen, you need to leave. You need to leave school. That's just, that's what you need to do. You need to be writing. That's what your next thing is. And we will figure out how to make that work for you. Together, we can do that. And I said, huh, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I'm a person who needs, I'm an information gatherer. I don't make decisions very well. They take me a long time. And so I said, I'm going to go back to school for the second semester. I already have my books ordered. It's fine. We're going to do that. And then by the end of the second semester, I, I said, I will have figured out whether I'm coming back in the fall. And that gives me the time to make that decision. And then I got two or three weeks into that second semester. And I said, nope, I'm not coming back in the fall. So there's no reason to continue this semester when I could start focusing on my, on my writing business instead and, and get that going right away. And so I dropped out in mid-February, February. February. <laughs> I jumped into networking and 
taking a couple of courses and all of these things that I, I wanted to do that were related to my writing. I hadn't written, I thought going into law school, I was, I said to myself, well, the work that I'm doing, it'll be a good side gig. It'll be some income while I'm in school. It will be a creative outlet that I know I need to be a healthy human. And when I started school, it all stopped. Just like nothing left. Um, so it was really wonderful then to, I took like two weeks where I cleaned my house and went on long walks and sort of decompressed. And then after that, I was writing every day and I've almost every day since then I've written and it feels really good. And I'm so much happier and so much healthier than I would have been. Mm-hmm. Your cat, so your copyright business is up and alive and well now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're writing lots. Mm-hmm. And you've just put out yesterday, your TEDx talk was released. Yeah. Which is so good. Thank you. <laughs> it's so good. And it's called The Brave Leap sideways Mm -hmm. and you use that whole treadmill analogy Mm -hmm. about you know you're on the treadmill you're going and how scary and Mm -hmm. dangerous it feels to jump off Mm -hmm. and do something different and so yeah I mean where did you get the treadmill analogy it was just, I mean, I am a words person <laughs> it, and it was just how I started explaining to people like I was feeling um, that I had, I was on this, this moving belt and it was going and there wasn't an off button. And I, I, I don't, remember exactly how the phrase the brave leap sideways came about but it for me sort of embodies the freedom of of saying it's worth it's worth the risk yeah I might twist an ankle yeah I might get bruised but I, that it's something that I, I need to do and it's going to be better than what's happening now. And it's the only way to find the best thing. I'm not going to reach the best thing by doing exactly what I'm doing and continue to do that. So yeah, it just like, I th- for me, the, the, the phrase that brave leap sideways is like, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air you know you you talk a little bit in in the in your ted talk and you know we've we've talked about this before too i mean going to law school is such a reputed um path i mean everyone understands it and and lawyers are you know like you say well credentialed and Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a it's such a secure um way to go and, and now I say I'm a copywriter and people are like, what's, you mean like trademarks? Yeah. 
yeah no it's and, okay and, <laughs> yeah and you talked to me too before when you talked to me you you said you know I had all these friends that had rallied to support me mm-hmm. to go to law school and yeah. and someone had organized I think you know something for you to be super supportive and mm-hmm. you know because I said well so you know why was that so why did it take so much courage and and you described it so well can you do you remember that conversation and what you told me? Um, I don't remember specifically what I told you, but I will I will try to answer that question in the moment and hopefully I do as well this time as I did yes. last time. <laughs> um, but yes, so already I was moving across the country by myself. Already I was dedicating myself to an educational path that is known for being a struggle. And then on top of that, it was COVID. I didn't get to have a going away party. I didn't get to hug my friends when I left. And so I had two friends who organized a calendar and reached out to my network and got people to sign up on the calendar so that almost every day of that first year of law school, someone was signed up to send me mail. So I was getting cards in the mail. I was getting stickers and presents. My cat was getting presents in the mail. (laughs) And so I just had this like really like warm and strong support underneath me and a big part of me was afraid that that if I dropped out, that those people who had been so supportive, that they would be hurt, that they would feel like my decision to drop out somehow reflected that I hadn't appreciated all of that support that they gave me. And Of course, that wasn't true. (laughs) When I announced that I had dropped out, I got another outpouring of support from these people because they were supportive of me and not like transactionally of Kathleen goes to law school. But it was a it was a real a real weight that hung around me. So that that was one of the one of the really big reasons that it was so scary to to make that that choice to to drop out and do something different yeah and when you told me that I, I could feel it I mean you described that and I'm like oh I can so <laughs> I can so relate to making up that story that I'm letting people down yeah if I don't do this thing that I said I was gonna do I'm letting everybody down when really that it is a, it's a story. It's just it's a, a story. story that we're creating. Yeah. Yeah. It was talk a lot. Your, Yeah. And you talk a lot about <laughs> in your talk, when you started your TEDx talk, you mentioned that, um, you know, that we have this other story about finishing what you start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about that. So I think that this is a lesson that that most of us learn at a very early age. Um, I think when you you know sign up for little league when you're four and your grown up says, well, you know, you have to do this all summer. 
Are you going to do it all summer? And I think that that's a good conversation to have. It's not that I don't think that we should hold ourselves to our commitments, but that finishing what we start isn't the most important thing. And I think that there's a lot of emphasis on, on that being like the goal. You made it through, you finished it. Yay, you graduated. Were you miserable the whole time? Are you ever going to use the degree? No, no, but you did it. Yeah. And I think that it needs to be a balance. It needs to be looking at the various outcomes and weighing those outcomes against each other in order to make that decision. So if I had been in any number of different situations, my outcome, my decision to leave law school might've been different. But in my particular situation, no one was relying on me finishing law school. I don't have children. I don't support anyone financially. No one was losing out on potential income. I hadn't already committed myself to an, a, a job for the summer where they would have had to scramble or something like that. Like, I think those are all considerations, but ultimately, for me, it came down to looking at how I wanted to show up in the world and the world I wanted to create around me and understanding that if I continued on through school and if I ended up taking the bar, passing the bar, becoming a practicing attorney, that I could not live my life in the ways that I wanted and taking that information and being like, okay, if that's not it, what is? And it, it really serendipitously, um, the, the life that I could lead as a copywriter was going to help me, um, build that out and so it was really wonderful that I ha already had that skill set and that experience and finally at some point throughout that whole journey something got into my head that was like oh no this is a valuable skill and it is marketable and it can be a career yeah and I don't know when that clicked either but I'm glad it's it funny <laughs> how we convince ourselves though that you don't have anything marketable you need more credentials Right. Yeah. Um, you challenge everybody in your in your talk. I mean, you're really good about, you know, talking about the support system that you had and you recognize fully not everybody has that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, making allowances for you're not saying that you shouldn't finish what you start. You're just saying it's not the most or the only consideration mm -hmm. in, in decision making. And you're really good at making um, your listeners, I think, really consider their own brave leap sideways. And you talk a lot about find your own path and your own pace. And I thought pace mm -hmm. was an interesting addition to yeah. the path. So tell us a bit about the pace that you're, you're um, asking us yeah. to look at. So if we look at the example of an attorney, there are a whole bunch of different paths 
even as a practicing attorney that you can choose. You can go work for a big law firm or on the opposite side of the spectrum, you can open your own business. Somewhere in the middle, you can work for a boutique firm that has, you know, five or 10 attorneys. And when you go into big law, you're, you know, you're going into 80 hour weeks, 100 hour weeks, you're going into long nights, high pressure, no, you don't get to see your kids, all of that sort of stuff. And if that's not a pace that makes sense with how you want to show up in the world, then as a practicing attorney, maybe you want to look at some of those other options. Maybe you do want to go to a boutique firm that's more understanding of your family values. Maybe that's more understanding of you need to be home at seven o'clock for your own mental health. And so really looking at not just, I'm on the path of being an attorney. Well, cool, but how fast do you want to run? How does that feel for you? Is it sustainable? How long do you want to go? Because I think we can, most of us who, um, you know, have gone out for a run in the last two years, we could hop on a treadmill and we could run for two minutes. But you, most of us can't hop on a treadmill and run a marathon. Even marathon runners can't usually run a marathon on a treadmill. But so it's, I, it's another, just another layer of that question of how do you want to show up and what's going to allow you to live out those values and create, create that world you want to live. You know, I've been reading a lot about um, overwhelm and, and what that is. And it's, it's about, you know, things are coming at me faster than my nervous system can handle it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's, you know, what struck me when I was listening to your talk about pace. And it's not something that a lot of people consider. They consider the path and the career, but they don't often think about, you know, the pace. Mm -hmm. You talked a lot about in your talk about your values, like really coming to terms with what your values were and that the path that you were on wasn't necessarily in line with that. And there was such a you know, you were miserable and I've, and I've experienced Mm -hmm. this where I was working in a job that wasn't allowing me to live my values. Yeah. And I couldn't sustain it either. And when I decided to quit, everyone said, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. But it just, it, it was just right too much internal conflict. I felt like I had to leave the majority of myself Mm -hmm. outside the door every morning. Yeah to do the job. That's not sustainable. It's not, it doesn't feel it's soul crushing really. Mm -hmm. And I was curious about whether you, did you like sit down and do, do your values or did you just sort of inherently know like something's not feeling right for me? Yeah. So it start, it started for me with something's not feeling right. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple years earlier when I was when I was trying to figure out what was next, I had done some exercises about values and my values shifted because of things in my world shifting and a greater understanding of 
of who I am and what I need in order to be healthy. I think that over the last 10 years of my life, I've done a lot of work about understanding my neurodivergence, <laughs> understanding my um, various mental health issues. And so even in that period of two years, one of those years I was doing intense reflection because I was so depressed and I was um, meeting with my therapist and doing work with her. And so two years later, when I came back around to say, what, what does this work look like? My answers were different and things that showed up for me then that hadn't showed up before even though they were very clear, even like in my, in my work with the children's theater, I should, I think I should have been aware. These are two reasons why I'm really not happy, but two reasons that sort of paralleled between those, those, those parts of my life were autonomy and calm. Mm. And those are very related to each other. Two, I do not feel calm when someone else is controlling when I show up, how I show up, what I'm doing. And so those are, those are two elements that really lead my life right now. I, I follow the calm. <laughs> and with that often comes the path of autonomy, which is one of the reasons that owning my own business and making my own schedule and deciding when I do or don't set my alarm in the morning, they make, they seem like small things in the moment, but overall they make an enormous difference in, in my mental well-being. And my emotional health. I love that you talk about, you know, now that you know your values, you like this is what I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but now that you know your values, you can sort of make decisions that are in line with them. They're, they're guiding mm -hmm. principles, really, yeah, that you that you live with and live by. Mm -hmm. And um, so many people skip this. Right. I got And yes. I, so when I do programs with people, I ask the first module of course is like do a values exercise and people are like, oh, I didn't have time. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I kind of, it's, but I, it's the foundation it's kind of really fundamental to how mm -hmm. you're going to interact with the world. And, and it's going to explain so much of why you're um, feeling unwell right now. And I think that your values they are they are the foundation of every decision that we make mm -hmm. whether we consider them or not and so it is essential that we consider them because if we just say oh well i have midwestern values i have christian values i have whatever or even i have this random list that I'm just going to go with my gut, empathy and dependability and love and all of these things. If you haven't sat down and, and I, 
I work from what I call the purpose pyramid and I take my clients through exercises that ask them questions and different activities that help them identify and then prioritize those values. And if you haven't done that work, and it sounds like that's the kind of work that you do with your clients on, on your side too, when you get to a challenge, you will fall back on whatever your default values are. And sometimes that might be empathy. Sometimes that might be dependability, whatever, like positive values. But sometimes it's values that you don't even know that you had. Sometimes you fall back and you make decisions based on implicit biases because they live under the surface and you've never identified them because you've never taken the time to ask yourself the when's a time that I felt proud of myself and why what about that when's a time that I felt ashamed of myself or when's a time I was embarrassed for someone else those are elements of that like those are not my values Mm -hmm. but when you take the time to do that work and you prioritize your values and you have this list it's not like you're going to pull it out of your wallet every time you make a decision but if I'm on a road trip and I'm hungry and I have a value of convenience, I have a value of saving time, but I also have a value of physical health. Those things conflict with each other. If I'm deciding, do I want to stop at McDonald's or do I want to find a grocery store and put together a salad at the salad bar? And if you've already decided, if you've gone through this really like deliberate work and decided ultimately in most situations, I'm going to choose my physical health. Cool. You already know that that's, you can let that work go because it lives inside of you. You've already made the decision when there's a choice between McDonald's or a salad bar, I'm going to seek out the salad bar and we make I think the statistic is we make over 35,000 decisions every day in the modern world. And we are exhausted of making decisions. Mm -hmm. We are so tired and we are fatigued all the time. And so give yourself that break, do the work, revisit it. I I like to tell people (laughs) to revisit it every three months because your values aren't necessarily going to change every three months. Most of ours aren't. And certainly we're not going to go from, you know, a a value of ecological conservation to a value of, you know, something to do with creating more plastic for the ocean or whatever. But if you just ask yourself those questions, go through those activities every three months, then you can kind of track the little changes and you can say, oh, I see that, I see that small shift. Mm -hmm. And then because your values are the foundation, it changes everything that comes after. And that was a really really long-winded answer. No, it's a great explanation. (laughs) I love that you talked about the bias because I mean, that's, that's there. Like people have Mm -hmm. very unconscious bias that, that really does affect their decision. And, and you can call it an unconscious bias or a story that you've made up Mm -hmm. or, and, and, you know, we need to challenge those. And so, you know, you may have had an unconscious bias that, um, 
you have to finish what you start quitting is morally defective yeah it's not it's not yeah yeah so you know and, and so examining those and and challenging them and I I like that you mentioned in there about conflicting values because that happens too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that happens in, in my work too. And it, and it, like I say, it explains why you're struggling. Mm-hmm. It's why. so much effort when you're in a situation where your values conflict and you haven't. You feel like you have to choose between one or the other. And, and if you're not really aware of what that struggle is, but you feel it, it's in there and it is it is uncomfortable. It is, and people tend to beat themselves up over it. Why can't I feel better? Well, and the other thing that shifts for people with values, like you talk about, revisit every three months, which I mean, that's that's a lot, but I, but I hear what you're saying because I mm-hmm. think that the way, th- the behaviors we assign to different value words um, can shift and get, or get mm-hmm. clearer. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, and I think if you spend Ooh. 20, 30 minutes every three months, yeah. every 90 days, half an hour, yeah. it can save you so much stress. Mm-hmm. It's worth, it's worth the half hour every, that's, that's two hours a year to spend. It's worth it, friends. Yeah, that's not a lot. Um, in your talk, I want to go back to your talk just for a second. And you talk about, you know, you had this from phenomenal support system and you Mm -hmm. fully acknowledge that not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. So for someone who doesn't have a lot of support or, or hasn't done the work that you've done around, you know, introspection and understanding, you know, what drives you and what makes you proud and feel good Mm -hmm. and healthy and, what do the people who find themselves, they, they go, yeah, I actually am on a treadmill and I'm really unhappy. Mm-hmm. What words of wisdom do you have for these folks who may not have the supports or the awareness that you had? So I'm going to flip that first okay. and say that I think one of the most important things that I want people to consider is an awareness of the people around them and noticing when there are people in their circle, whether that's people at work, people in their family, who you think, gosh, they might, they might be struggling. And I want to encourage you to reach out to those people. Even if like, even if it's as simple as saying, hey, I watched this talk, this TEDx talk, and I thought of you and send them the brave leap sideways. Like, it doesn't have to be like, hey, I think you're struggling to the guy two cubicles down from you. That's not necessarily going to be helpful, but just being, having an open energy to to feel when people might might need you to reach your hand out to them and say, hey, you know, this isn't the only option, right? Um, And then if you are the person who feels like there aren't people around you, there aren't people who are, are doing that reaching out for you and you're feeling stuck, I want you to ask yourself some questions about 
and try to get as specific as you can about what is feeling stuck. What is feeling, where is the friction in your life? Because I think something that's happening right now with the great resignation is there, there's a danger of people jumping from a job to another job because they feel like the job is the problem. And then two or three years down the road being just as miserable in that second job because it was really about how, how the work or how the culture is allowing them to show up. And it's not just, oh, I have a bad boss or, oh, I don't like my team or my commute's too long. And so the more specific that you can get about where you're feeling that friction, the better you're going to be able to, to illuminate other options. So I think that would be the first step for somebody who, who is feeling stuck and, and not feeling like there are people who, like for me, some, Cassandra directly said, you need to be writing. Most people don't get that. Most people don't have someone who um, is close enough that they can be that like direct <laughs> and that candid. Um, or know exactly. I think she was right. That is what I needed to be doing next. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in what she said. Yeah. To her. yeah. Um, so I, I imagine that, and I've certainly had, there have been other moments in my life where I have made what I look back or what I, what I consider now to be a brave leap sideways where I didn't feel like I could talk to people about how I was feeling or I was worried about like judgment about a decision that I was considering. And those things are really real too and, and can, can keep you on the treadmill. And I just think ultimately it's not worth it. So knowing that if your gut is saying, I need to get off the treadmill, I need to find a new path, a brighter path, a path that's less rocky, whatever, trust your gut. I love that you put it in terms of social responsibility, like look around you and put your hands out. You know, yeah. someone needs that. Mm -hmm. And so notice the people that are in your community and Put your hands out because someone needs to grab a hold and mm -hmm. and and for the people you know there's there's lots of isolation uh, with the families that i work with and everybody thinks that they're all alone and i and i always well what i know to be true is there's always someone who's experienced what you're experiencing mm -hmm. who can help you along the way and you need to just yeah. start just find someone you trust and start talking mm -hmm. about what's going on because they may know someone who knows someone who knows someone who's been exactly I, where you are i think too the starting 
is what sometimes triggers people to reach out. Mm -hmm. Starting to make that jump makes other people go, oh, I see, I Mm -hmm. see what's happening. I see a struggle Mm -hmm. and I've gone through it. So I've never talked about it before. And I certainly would have brought it up in the elevator, but now that I see it happening in front of me, I'm going to bring it up. And I'm that's, and, and so starting that process can attract support to you too. That's brilliant. We'll have all of your contact info in the show notes for everybody um, so that everyone can find you. And thank you very much for your time today. You are honestly, I've said it to you before and I really mean it. Like you really are such a gem, like really. Thank you. You're a good storyteller, right? I think, <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, it's it's clear. You like you you've done a lot of work, and you you articulate that really clearly. And I think, yeah, I love where you're going, man. I love what you're up to. So thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's always delightful to talk to you. So oh, <laughs> I'm glad to have an excuse to spend an hour <laughs> on a Zoom call with you. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to stop the recording. Friends, thanks for listening. And if you like this episode, please be sure to click on the thumbs up below for YouTube and comment. I'd love to hear what you liked most and what you want to hear more of. Um, I just basically love to hear from you. And in case you missed it, the website again is maureentowns.com. Thank you. Bye. Hello, friends. Welcome to season three of the Broken Open podcast. I'm Maureen Towns. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I am a family trauma expert. I consult to families with mental health and addictions issues. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please be sure to subscribe so that you're the first to know about new episodes when they come out. And please visit maureentowns.com just so you can get in touch with me, stay current about our programs, and stay current on any updates about the book, Broken Open. Enjoy the show.